Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Today on Mountain Meister, we welcome Julian Carr. Hello, everyone. This is Ben. Hey, it's Russell, too. Julian Carr is a professional skier and founder of Discreet Headwear, one of the most popular lifestyle headwear brands in skiing and snowboarding. Julian's skiing is characterized by massive cliff jumps, and he has been featured in numerous Warren Miller films. Julian, before we get into the great success that you've had in both your skiing career and the business, tell us more about you personally and how you fell in love with skiing. Well, thanks for having me on the show, guys. I do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I grew up playing mostly team sports and skateboarding. And uh, in fifth grade, I tried snowboarding, tweaked my knee the first run. And in eighth grade, my mom talked me into skiing, which I wasn't all that excited about at first just because I was uh, really into skateboarding. And, you know, just completely fell in love with it very first day. And just kind of started riding chairlifts the next few days and watching people ski and just kind of got the hang of it. One of those things that just clicked and I just instantly knew I was going to be doing it my whole life. Um, And it's pretty interesting looking back at that day snowboarding in fifth grade. If I wouldn't have tweaked my knee that day, you know, I know I would have never gotten on skis. And that's just a crazy thought because I love skiing so much. So that's how I got into it and just slowly grew from there. Yeah, growing up in Salt Lake City, you had quite a few opportunities to probably go to all the mountains around there. And I grew up in New England, so it's pretty icy here. And, and I, every time I go out west, it's usually to Utah. Or just yeah, but you get spoiled jealous. skiing out west, right? Well, you got to handle the ice in the <laughs> east, and then you, then you can own the west. <laughs> That's true, yeah. So did this continue into college, and did you start to take things more seriously? Uh, So in college, I was studying economics and computer science and starting to really pursue skiing as a career. I had a chance to go ski with a bunch of professional skiers, and they're a bunch of my heroes I really looked up to. And uh, after skiing with them for a few days, uh, I just realized, like, you know, I can do this. I get the professional side of it and the physical side of it after skiing with these guys. It's just about finding those professional relationships and understanding the industry. So I knew that I wanted to finish school, but I started getting some sponsors. I built like a really simple website, which was kind of ahead of its time at the time. (laughs) And uh, so I think that really showed sponsors that um, I really understood the business side of things. And I think at the end of the day, that's uh, one thing I understood right from the get-go was that talent is definitely important but i mean there's like anybody in any sport there's always thousands of people out there that are better than you but one thing i've always been really good at that you know i'm really proud of is that there's not a lot of people better than me in the business side of it understanding that it's content driven relationship driven with your sponsors and that it's not about bragging and ego it's about content and sharing your experiences mm-hmm. so right away i understood that from an ego less perspective and that i think really caught attention of my sponsors and obviously they're like oh cool and you can ski (laughs) so that's how I got into it and once I finished college is when I could put all my attention on professional skiing and that's when my whole career really took off 
Yeah, it's interesting for me to hear about your majors too, because you said you wanted to finish school and then you could focus on this, but you were uh, you had a computer science degree. That's pretty technical. And did you just enjoy the classes and the work, or did you see some way that you could actually use that degree in the ski industry? No, not at all. I mean, I thought for a minute I'd maybe get into the computer industry. But uh, after banging my head against that subject for a couple of years, <laughs> I realized it definitely wasn't for me. But uh, I know we'll get into it later, but I actually named my company that I started after a computer science class that I took. So, you know, one of those things you look back and you're like, wow, that's cool. If I wouldn't have done that, I, who knows what I would have named a company or if I would have. <laughs> yeah, like you said, we definitely will get into that later. First, I want to kind of cover your professional skiing career. And like I mentioned in the intro, kind of characterized by these massive cliff jumps which are a pleasure to watch but i'm sure you didn't start there so how did your skiing career transition into these cliff jumps you know it started from basically loving to ski powder and that's the ultimate pursuit i think for any skier is finding that perfect powder turn and wherever there's perfect powder turns there's jumps and cliffs So that's what came with the territory. And as I started skiing more powder turns, I started going off more jumps and cliffs. It kind of expands your comfort zone every day you get out there because, you know, when you're a little kid and you hit your first little jump and do your first spread eagle, it's a pretty powerful experience Mm -hmm. and it's out of your comfort zone. Then suddenly you're comfortable hitting five-foot airs and doing a spread eagle. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, it's a little bit bigger of a jump or a little bit bigger of a cliff that is out of your comfort zone, but then suddenly you're comfortable with it. And for me, my comfort zone, and it's even crazy to say, I'm literally comfortable lining up 200-foot cliffs. Like that's just how far the expansion of my comfort zone got to. Um, It took a lot of, you know, trial and error and a lot of mental tenacity, if you will, and meditation, really, to, to have all those pieces come together. It wasn't just from success. There was a lot of failures included in that. But it's a you know beautiful experience for me, and it's like the ultimate way I love to connect to nature uh, is really meditating and, and connecting and figuring out these big cliffs and uh, kind of transcending those boundaries that kind of the stuff that shouldn't be possible. Because I look at these cliffs after I do it or see pictures of it when I'm not in the moment. And me too, I'm just like, that is totally crazy. Mm-hmm. But when I'm doing it, I'm so tapped in that everything becomes smaller and possible and I see how to succeed and then I do it. Yeah, so for our listeners to describe what Julian's doing, he mentioned 200 feet and that is from the top of the cliff right to your landing, vertical feet, 200 feet. And he takes off of this jump and does kind of this big front flip, sometimes a back flip, and you don't land on your feet, right? You land kind of on your back? Yeah, anything that's over... 50 feet or so for me, I try to distribute the impact throughout my entire body, all through my shoulders, through my back, through my butt, and kind of slingshot it down into uh, my skis and boots. And once the dust clears, you know, usually I can just hop up and ski away, which is pretty insane. But uh, yeah, it's a it's an awesome technique, I guess, that I don't know how I innately just have it built into me that I understand what the body can do in relationship with the snow. And it's crazy because you can get from pretty much any height. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Uh, you mentioned failure when you said you were, you were going through this. When I think of a failure going off of a cliff, 
I think of a, a lot of really bad things, injury, <laughs> you know, death. Aren't you really just trying to get from the top to the bottom without killing yourself? Yeah, you know, I uh, the first year I ever got sponsors, I was really in shape. I was skiing really well. And at that time, I was 95% go rate. So I'd line stuff up. I'd have it figured out for the most part, and I'd just do it and figure it out. And uh, if I took a big crash, I'd just shake it off. But one time it got the best of me, and it was the first day, the first year I had sponsors, skiing really well, all day long, loving life, so fired up, hit this double cliff line where I had one cliff, you land it, and instantly go off another one. And I stomped it. And uh, still just skiing so well that day, like it was the end of the year, I just felt amazing. And uh, came back to the cliff later on in the day, the double cliff line, and didn't really line it up. I just kind of took for granted that I'd already did it earlier in the day, just mm-hmm. overconfident, and dropped in, didn't line it up exactly, didn't you know really concentrate critically. And I didn't get off the first air quite right, set me off the second cliff early and kind of over my handlebars, if you will. I kind of clipped the cliff with my with my hip and ended up face down in the snow and I'm like oh man I bruised my butt so bad ouch and I like rolled over onto my back and my leg was draped up across my body and my boot was up by my head so I completely shattered I didn't know what I shattered at the time all I knew is that my entire leg was a wet disconnected noodle from my entire (laughs) body I ended up shattering my femur in 11 pieces I didn't have any problems healing. I skied that spring. I mean, wow. I worked my wow. butt off. Yeah. But it gave me an intimate relationship with consequences, as I like to say. So from that point on, I just completely understood that my career path was extremely dangerous and that if I was going to do it, I needed to be 100% sure about what I was going to be doing or else walk away every time. And so I kept that promise to myself. And it's kind of funny because over the next few years, I was jumping plenty of 30, 40, 50 foot cliffs and skiing some really cool lines and, you know, getting pretty extreme, but nothing that was really separating me from the rest of the pack. And uh, one day I was out in the backcountry and came up on an 80 foot cliff and <clears throat> I just thought it through. I was like, you know, the landing is so good. This takeoff is perfect. All I have to do is keep my composure together in the air for maybe 0.1 more seconds and still hit the ground exactly how I would off a 50-footer. So I just figured it all out, kind of like a math equation. It all makes sense. I'm 100% confident. I see this path to success. So I did it, remained calm in the air, kept my composure, when I hit the ground, it did feel exactly like a 30 yeah. or 40 foot cliff. And right at that moment, oh boy, game on. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I just knew that any height pretty much was the same thing. You just needed to keep your composure a little bit longer. Once you figured out the cliff, the landing, and the takeoff, if everything was perfect, all it took was split seconds more of composure to gain more feet and height on cliffs and that's all it was literally and once I figured out that simple deduction I was like game on so that next year I ended up setting the world record for the biggest invert off a cliff was which was that 210 footer in Switzerland 
I set like the biggest cliff and competition record, like 140 footer at the U.S. Free Skiing Nationals at Snowbird. And, you know, since then I've, and it's just crazy for me to say, but I've definitely hit over a hundred, 100 foot cliffs wow. in my career. <laughs> and it's just crazy to me. But like I said, it's like a beautiful experience I go through of the finding the cliff, figuring it out and connecting to it and meditating on it and finding that ultimate sense of peace with the cliff and sharing with it. It's not like a sense of dominance or adrenaline. It's really like mm. I'm here to coexist with you and tap into your energy. It's a mm. pretty awesome thing. And, you know, I really love it, but it's a very sensitive uh, currents that transpires. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's definitely not like a conquering mentality. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're pursuing something that you think is beautiful because, frankly, when I hear you say that, I am kind of cringing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. I completely understand the way it looks. Yeah, that takes a lot of focus, like you were saying. And I think I heard you in one of your articles say hyper-focus. I've never heard anyone say that. Is that a difficult thing for you to achieve, this focus? Yeah, it's it's nothing you can just switch on, but it happens when you're out there in the mountains a lot and you find these cliffs and it's a exchange of energies really it's like how musicians talk to each other through music i'm talking in the mountains through calm peaceful thoughts and really putting my body energy out there and trying to see if the mountains will talk back at all and share its energy with me because believe me i've been on top of stuff that i wanted to do and figured it out and from a mathematical standpoint it all added up and then I get up there and I just can't calm myself down and I know something's not right. So I've walked away from things that I spent hours hiking to with multiple filmers too. And I just can't calm down. You know, because when I do this stuff, my heart rate is uh, lower than when I'm sitting at a computer doing work. Yeah. It's just, uh, like I said, I don't think you're completely connected. It's hyper awareness and it's super powerful and it's really beautiful and it's, kind of a time warp because suddenly you're not just your normal ordinary human you're just so absorbed with your surroundings and it's pure fun because once I hit that stage of you know knowing I can do it and then the meditation sets in and everything's good then there's no more fear because obviously I'm scared when I first find cliffs and I'm so scared that I don't walk away because I know you can do it but you have to use that fear to fuel your concentration, if you will. So you need to study the cliff. You have to figure out the landing. Is the landing good? You better think really hard about it because if you're not 100% sure, then you don't move on to keep looking at the rest of the cliff. If the cliff does not have a good landing, that's it. You're done. You don't mm -hmm. even look at it anymore. But once the cliff does have a great landing, then you start to feel a little bit more confident about it. That ratio of 100% fear switches to you know, a little bit more confidence, less fear. And then once you go study the sheerness of the cliff to make sure that you can get out to where you need to land in that landing you just studied, then your fear goes away a little more. Then once you figure out the takeoff, and the takeoff is perfect and it gets you to where you need to be, then that's when you have your final, all right, everything's good. How's the universe feeling about this? How's my meditation <laughs> feeling about this? And that's when ultimate confidence sets in. And that's when really when I do these things, I'm completely looking forward to it up there. I'm not breathing deep and beating my chest. And I guess I've said a couple of times, it's not just this dominant barbaric thing. It's just complete serenity of what you're doing. It's, it's just amazing. 
it seems like you've figured out, like you said, this math equation. And is there anything else in your life that you could channel this kind of energy to, maybe with your career, your work, or anything else? Yeah, I think it does switch over to your relationships with people and business. It's just living true. Because when you're up there doing those things, you're, everything's real life. There's no cobwebs. I think you're in accordance with what you're thinking, what you do, and what you say. It's all in one. And I think, you know, in daily life, it's kind of this big tangled mess of what you're thinking, what you do, and what you say. But I think if you can try to apply that same principle to daily life and business and be a person of integrity, it definitely trickles down into the rest of your life. I find that I'm just a much more at peace, more quality human, certainly, than before I started doing this practice a few years back. It definitely trickles down and settles into your being. Let's go back to the founding of Discreet with your partner, Billy Poole. And Billy, for our listeners, tragically died while filming a Warren Miller film in 2008. Were you thinking after that time going through with Discreet? And did you ever think about giving up? So right away, I created Discreet in college, started putting the name on a bunch of you know blank beanies I bought from extra money I had serving tables and the meager income I was making as a skier at the time. And Billy was one of my best buds, main ski partner in the mountains, just an amazing guy, and he had so much passion for the brand. And so I brought him on as a partner in the company, and you know neither one of us knew a ton about the business side of it, but we both knew we were going to figure it out. I knew that he was a guy just from who he was, that he would never accept failure or accept giving up. We knew that we'd figure out anything that was put in front of us because we did it all the time in the mountains. And he's definitely like my right-hand man and always had my back and always had his. We always made great decisions together in the mountains. And so anyway, we were both filming for a Warren Miller segment. I actually was, for the one time I've let my guard down since I shattered my femur, I was skiing this powder line and I came over this rollover and hit this tree and I blew my knee. And again, I was like, man, I let my guard down because I thought I was just skiing powder. And it was a big lesson that you never let your guard down. You always concentrate. So it was a big lesson for me. And then three days later, Billy kept filming with Warren Miller, obviously. And three days later, he had his accident where he miscalculated a line and insanely sad. He passed away. And, you know, we had a trade show coming up. In 10 days after his accident, I had a blown knee and we had a, you know, a booth to build and I certainly didn't know the lay of the land with trade shows. I'd never even been to one and there was a million reasons why I could have just said, nah, let's hold off at least until next year or let's just not do this right now. But you know, the thought crossed my mind, but right away I was like, no way, there's no way we're not going. Billy would be so pissed off if we didn't go. So I had a bunch of amazing friends. We all went down there and I had my busted knee and all my friends helped me build the booth. Or I should say they built the booth because I was completely um, out of commission. <laughs> and yeah, I did this first trade show without even knowing anything about the industry and the way the supply chain works and the way the terms work and what these buyers expect from you. And just there was so much stuff I was complete rookie about. But figured it out and definitely tried to make Billy proud. And since then, you know, his spirit always live on in the company. And, you know, we choose to celebrate his life for all the infinite reasons that we don't know about and rather than just be sad for the reasons we do. So it's always fun to talk about Billy and you can learn more about him at uh, BillyPoolFoundation.org. How did that first trade show go with this new business? 
Oh, uh, it's good, man. I kind of set a number I wanted to hit, and we doubled it. And wow. I gained a big South uh, Korean distributor, which put in the same amount of dollars as the rest of our business combined. And we opened up a ton of cool core stores that we had our sights on, and it was amazing, man. It definitely was a nice affirmation to all the hard work I put into it thus far. Uh, and the very next year, it was so cool cruising around at my home resorts and traveling and seeing people I didn't know wearing the product that I knew yeah. they bought from stores. And it was just such a cool feeling to be like, awesome. It, like I knew what we were doing had good energy and I'm so glad people are into it. Yeah, we've heard a lot of times that the proudest moment from entrepreneurs are when you see people that you never knew would be wearing your brand and don't really know who you are, but they are willing to pay money for the product. That must be a really cool feeling. Uh, discreet and don't know how that... Product. If it's natural, I always... Just be like, hey, that's a cool, cool beanie, cool hat. Because <laughs> they know they have no idea who I am, and I just want to compliment them. So anytime they're reaching for something to wear, I always know when someone compliments something in my wardrobe. If I'm making a decision, I'm like, oh yeah, that one guy or one girl said they like that shirt. Then mm-hmm. you know, you just, you just remember those kind of things. So I just want those people to be like, oh yeah, discreet. Someone complimented me once about it. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, in college, I took a computer science class called Discrete Structures. And at the time, I was just infatuated with creating a brand. And uh, I had a ton of names I um, doodled in all my notebooks and made up new font types with like my Mac Paint you know, program. <laughs> and uh, nothing was really it. And it wasn't the one. And then I took Discrete Structures, and it was this really cool um, study of all kinds of like fragments of math that had some significance but never really turned into anything like calculus or trigonometry or any certain concrete extension of what we all study but there's definitely cool things that happen within these little side pockets i guess and same with computer uh, program languages it was really bizarre stuff but it's a really cool brand and you guys have had so much success uh you're in nine countries now i think and hundreds and hundreds of stores it's really impressive. So you're still a professional skier, and now you have this thriving business. How are you able to keep that balance and make sure that you're happy and your business and everything's going well? You know, it's uh, just a balance of discipline, and the ability to do it all has just been a, a slow process, again, of comfort levels. When I first started Discrete, I was in school full-time, pursuing skiing and actually getting sponsors and doing it and I was working at a sports bar five nights a week and starting discreet so I was doing four pretty full-time things at once which when I look back at it I'm just like holy crap I can't (laughs) believe I was doing all that at once and had the energy for it I guess my whole life I've just always had a storm of chaos going on that I just filter through one-at-a-time tasks to get it all done, and I guess it's just this discipline. Uh, I don't know, you know, like some people say they have a 9-to-5. I always feel like I kind of have a 24-7, <laughs> and it's really, it's cool, but it's also hard because, you know, I've had girlfriends that are like, you know, I'm glad you came skiing with me today, but every chairlift, you're on your phone, and I get it, <laughs> but they're like, maybe you stay at home and let me miss you for the day instead of coming up and skiing with me but feeling like you're not even here. So I get it, and I try to, like, take a time out from work and be sensitive to those things because, you know, having those things brought to my attention, it's, it's powerful because I, I understand. So it's definitely 
consuming, but I definitely try to take time off of the whole skiing and and discreet and uh, and just try to focus in on quality time with my family and my relationships uh, so that it, I can completely put it away at times too because yeah. it is very, very time-consuming and it is you're always like when you go skiing or when you get done it's like you got to come back and get your work done when everyone else is going to get a beer and operating <laughs> you know it's like no i got to get back to my computer and talk to china and talk to all my designers talk to my e-commerce people talk to my operations guys and make sure all these moving parts are are still going because uh, there's just so many moving parts to the business and um i feel like you know when you're little and you have those little like carousel things you ride <laughs> i feel like i have like a 20 acres of a thousand of those spinning and I have to run around and like make sure they're all spinning all the time so it's a ton of communication orchestration um, and I just have learned to be aware of all the moving parts and making sure that I know how they all fit into like the bigger carousels but if the little one in the corner stops moving the bigger one eventually is gonna uh, get a stick in the spokes because <laughs> everything's connected yeah that's a great analogy to put everything in perspective and I'm sure most of our listeners and and most people, I mean, they're either doing one or the other. They're usually not running a business and a professional athlete. So I'm sure our listeners are just waiting for this question since you're such an expert in the outdoor industry. What is one piece of gear you would recommend for them? Cool. I would probably say I know most of the listeners aren't just skiers. Is that correct? We have all sorts of listeners. All right, cool. Well, I would say two products. Mm -hmm. There's amazing goal zero solar rechargeable completely transportable items lanterns or just charging devices Mm. um and i go everywhere with my gopro and my goal zero solar charger so you can be out in the middle of nowhere for days and weeks and always charge your phone and your gopro Um, so i would definitely look into getting yourself a gopro because even if you don't think you're that getting after it to have a GoPro, you'll find that once you get one and just kind of mess around with it and get creative, you just have so much fun with it. I do things that have nothing to do with sports with mine all the time because it's just such a quality camera and it's so fun to mess around with. And then if you can be out outdoors with a Goal Zero product, uh, combine the two. That's uh, that's what I would suggest to everyone. Get a Goal Zero charger and a GoPro. Yeah, Julian, two great gear recommendations. We'll have those on your Meister profile page on our website. And to wrap up our discussion, we wanted to ask you one more question. You've been able to combine your biggest passion with also finding financial and sustainable success, which in my opinion is basically the modern day American dream. What advice do you have for those people who only have one of those, whether it's only a passion with no financial stability or financial stability without being able to combine that with a passion? I think if you have an idea and you're always looking for the right time or when things are better, when there's a better situation, you know, like so if you have this idea but no money or you have money and you don't really have this great idea, it's like, you know, you got to start somewhere. And I've spoke to like a few colleges and business schools and I'm just looking at this big classroom full of people that I'm like who in here has a cool idea and like loves the entrepreneurial spirit and that's kind of your career path you're thinking and like everyone raises their hand and then I'm like awesome like so how many of you have like a pretty sick idea that you guys are pretty sure you're going to go for and like everyone will raise their hand (laughs) and then I'm like cool I'm like how many people have you made like the first step of of actually accomplishing this and like maybe one or two people will raise Mm -hmm. their hand and I'll just be like, well, what are you waiting for? 
to graduate and like get money and get a team and all that kind of crap. I'm like, guess what? There's never a good time. There's never Mm -hmm. a good time to start a business. Why wait? I'm like, I promise you, if you do something tonight after you get out of here, that is your first step in the process of getting started. You're going to look back in a year from now and be like, I am so glad I started a year ago because you're going to figure out so much stuff that you can only figure out by getting started. And believe me, it doesn't matter if you think everything is right and you think you have the best business plan in the world. And then once you start doing it, you're going to realize that everything changes. You know, just get out there and do it. So that's my advice is you just have to get out there and do it. Don't think there's ever going to be a perfect uh, ideal time or ideal situation or when things are just right because there's no such thing. Awesome. Really motivating. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you've given us a ton of great stories and great knowledge, and we're very thankful to have you on. For any of our listeners out there, definitely check out discreetheadwear.com for any more information on the products. Also, uh, more about Julian. Just Google search him. He's, he's out there. Um, <laughs> and also come to our website, mtnmeister.com, to see Julian's full Meister profile with links and also the gear that he's recommended. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, guys. I had a blast. I appreciate it. Hello, Meister fans. Thank you so much for tuning in to Julian Carr's episode. That man is nuts. So, Ben, what do we got going on this week? I'm glad you asked, Russell. We have a gear giveaway going on, and you, the listener, can win. How do you win? Good question. All you have to do is share one of our episodes on Facebook. Make sure that you tag us, Mountain Meister, so we know that you did it. At the end of the week, we will contact you through a Facebook message and let you know if you want. Check out the website for last week's winners, and you can also see all the gear we have right on mtnmeister.com. Check us out tomorrow on our next episode where we have Chris Plinky on the show. He was in the 2008 K2 expedition where his group actually survived one of the worst tragedies in K2 history. Yeah, this is the tragedy that's been documented in many books and documentaries. So we're going to have Chris on the show who made a few really important decisions that were a matter of life and death. Join us then.